Welcome to the Sonda Podcast. Tune in to hear the most insightful, inspiring and entertaining conversations with expert legal professionals from around the world. We'll discuss the ever-evolving legal sector and explore the latest market trends and updates to help you get ahead in your legal career. This week I'm speaking to Chantelle Markle, a US immigration lawyer who has dedicated her career to helping individuals, families and organisations to successfully navigate the intricate web of immigration laws and regulations. Here Chantelle shares essential visa advice to those looking to make a move to the US and tells her unique background story into the world of law as an Australian citizen who travelled the world and fell in love with New York. So whether you're an aspiring lawyer looking to get into immigration law or an overseas lawyer, particularly from Australia, looking to make the move to the US, then this episode is for you. Chantelle has helped various Australian citizens to relocate and sheds light on just how seamless the process is. So without further ado... Hello and welcome. Thank you so much for sparing your time today to talk to me. I know you have a busy schedule and you've been travelling, so I really do appreciate it. How are you and where in the world are you? I'm fabulous. Thank you so much, Rebecca. I am back in my office in Lower Manhattan, New York City. So we're going to dive in with your first question regarding kind of your background and that's where did you grow up and what did life look like for you as a young aspiring lawyer? So I grew, I was born and grew up in Adelaide, Australia, to uh, Italian immigrant parents who they came to Australia when they were three and five with my grandparents. And I had one sister and we would spend a lot of time after school at my grandparents' house. The Italian grandparents, you know, always live close by. And my parents were hardworking, so we spent a lot of time with our grandparents. And so they would uh, pick us up from school and so forth. And so we had a really supportive uh, childhood. And then I, so I went to Unley Primary School. Then I went to Loretto um, College for high school. And then after that, I actually, uh, in South Australia, you have to pick, you know, what your career is going to be pretty much when you pick what, university you want to go to and what course you want to get into and what course you get into is based on your year 12 grades pretty much so in year 12 and at high school I always thought I wanted to be an actress actually (laughs) and I thought I wanted to be in the Flinders drama program but I put down Flinders law school because it was one of the hardest things to get into Um, so I put that as number one and then I put the drama school as number two and then I ended up getting the grades to get into the law school. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that's how I ended up in law school because it was like you get into Flinders Law, you don't say no. And, you know, and your parents are like, well, you know, you don't have to be a lawyer, but it's always good to have a law degree. But I think yeah. what gets, what happens is once you go to law school, you get wrapped up in in becoming a lawyer. But, you know, later in life, there was a period in my career where then I wasn't sure if I was going to remain a lawyer again. So after I finished uh, at Flinders, there you have to do GDLP in Australia to then become a lawyer. And in South Australia at the time, and this is in uh, 1997, I'm dating myself here, <laughs> um, you could do a year um, of GDLP in South Australia, or I discovered that I could do it in six months if I went to Canberra. And did it at Canberra. Canberra had a program where you would do part of it at a law firm and part of it at, at the ANU, the Australian National University. So in my mind, I thought, right, I could go to Canberra, do this in six months, 
then I get admitted to the High Court and the Supreme Court of New South Wales, and then I can go travel around the world for six months, come back and work at a big law firm in Sydney, and I'll be in the same place as all my friends in South Australia, but I'll have travelled the world for six months. So that's what I decided to do, went off to Canberra, um, which actually was a wonderful experience and I think gave me the courage to then be able to travel the world later. Um, So after the GDLP in Canberra, six months in, so we're in around June of 1998 now, I decide I'm going to go and backpack around the world for six months. So I take my Australian passport and my Italian passport and go on this trek around the world and did most of Europe and then decided, actually, this is really fun and I really love Rome and I have an Italian passport, so why don't I live in Rome for a little while? So I decided to live in Rome for about nine months and then I decided, you know what, I'm really not using my law degree here. I was just working in a retail store and I was translating documents for a frozen, uh, a German frozen food company from Italian to English. And, you know, I was just having fun, basically. Yeah. So, you know what, I better get serious. Um, I'm going to move to London and get a job in a law firm in London. So I did that, moved to London, got a job in a law firm, London. That was great. I was doing litigation now. and right, it was okay sending tobacco companies and I'm not a smoker or anything like that. So, you know, but the job was good. It was quite flexible. So you could um, take work numerous hours and then take some time off. So it was great for someone who wanted to be able to work and travel at the same time. Um, I had a round the world ticket because I was originally going to only travel six months, right? That was going to expire. So I decided, you know what, I'll use the rest of the round the world ticket, which went New York, LA, and then it was supposed to go back to Australia. But I thought I'll just go New York, LA, and then back to London. And when I arrived in New York, I remember, I thought, wow, this city's pretty cool. Um, I wonder what it would be like to work in a law firm in New York. And I thought, you know what, there was that guy I met in Mykonos, Greece, a year ago, um, who was a lawyer. And he wrote his number in my little address book. Let me look that up. So I flick through my address <laughs> and find his home number. And I, I call him and I leave a message on his answering machine. Hi, you probably don't remember me, Australian girl, lawyer, met at a cafe in Greece in between the clubs, closing and opening at 4 a.m. We chatted for about 15 minutes. But in any event, I'm in New York and I'd love to learn about law firms in New York. Anyway, so he calls back and says, I think I remember you. We should meet up. Long story short, um, he came to, I was going for dinner with the people I was staying with that night. He came after dinner for drinks. We then both discovered we were both going to LA for um, Fourth of July weekend. And so we hung out. And then that was the beginning of a long story um, where we we went back and forth between London and New York for six months. And then by, by January of 2000, so six months later, I moved over and moved in with him. And he brought out all these big, back then, you know, the internet was still kind of new and law firms weren't really advertising. You couldn't look stuff up on the internet for law, which were the good law firms. And mm-hmm. and at that time, I thought I wanted to be in entertainment law. You know, I still had that passion for the theatre and drama and, you know, and entertainment. So I thought, oh, maybe I can combine my law with that passion and being an entertainment lawyer. So, you know, he'd taken out all the big Martindale Hubble books, um, which list all the law firms and their areas of, you know, practice and specialty. So I looked up all the entertainment law firms. And then he said, well, you need, you know, I was going to need a visa. So he said, my friend's dad's an immigration lawyer. 
So speak to him. So I speak to her friend's dad who says, you know, I know another immigration lawyer that does all the visas for foreign lawyers at the big law firms. Go meet with them. So I go meet with them. And the idea was that they would meet with me, see my resume, and then offer my resume up to the big law firms, one of which would interview me, hopefully hire me, and then they would do my visa. But then at the interview, they said, they saw that I could speak foreign languages. I speak Italian fluently. Um, I majored in it. I did a Bachelor of Arts and Bachelor of Laws, so I majored in Italian in my Bachelor of Arts. Um, so, and then I can speak a little bit of French, a little bit of Greek, a little bit of Spanish, but I would not oh, say. amazing. I'm not fluent in any of those. I can say the basics, you know, just enough to make a connection with someone that's from those yeah. countries. Um, so anyway, they really sold immigration law to me and said, would you consider working in our office? We think you'd love it. You speak multiple languages. You're dealing with international people all the time. Um, it's, you know, they really made it sound wonderful. They said, we have an office in London. You could start in our office in London while we get you a visa. And um, once your visa comes through, you can come and now work in our New York office. Um, and so I thought, wow, and it seemed really great area of law. So I said, yes. Um, and then so I started in their office in London for a few weeks while they got my visa ready. And then I moved over and started working at that immigration law firm. Um, so then do you want me to continue with the story? I'll go for it. I'm engrossed. Okay. I'll tell you the whole story and how I am, where I am today. So I worked at that law firm, um, but the, the, the environment in the firm was not ideal. Um, right. Just, you know, Me Too movements happening, you know, sort of within the firm, those sorts of things happening. So yeah. it wasn't right. It wasn't the right environment for I don't I think any sort of young female lawyer to thrive. And so I quit that job eventually after a year. And I actually thought I didn't want to be a lawyer anymore because I thought to myself, look, I have been, you know, I did some corporate law in Australia. I've done litigation in London. Now I did this immigration thing. But I just, I just, I think I was a bit dismayed by that experience in the last mm -hmm. firm and thought I don't want to be a lawyer anymore. So I went on this search for what my new career was going to be. I decided, look, you know, you can't just keep swooping and chopping and changing careers. You've got to get serious. I've got to find what my next career is going to be. But I really want to make sure it's right for me. So I set up all these informational interviews with people in different um, industries and really asked them, you know, what do you do on a day to day basis? Like, what do you love about your job? What do you not like about your job? What, you know, what are your highs? What are your lows? What are your, you know, I asked them such intricate questions to really see, is, is this a type of job I would like or not like? Would this suit me? Um, and so I ended up going, I, I interviewed people in, in banking, in entertainment law, um, in so so many different fields. And I met with, so I met with also a lawyer who was now a producer on Broadway. And I also met with some bankers and I actually thought maybe private banking would be suited to me. And and Lehman Brothers at the time had said, you know what, we think you'd be great. We'll get you started in August. And now it was November. They said, we'll get you started in August with our MBA graduates in our MBA graduate program. So I said, okay, but now I've got like nine months. What yeah. am I going to do for the next nine months? So I did contact that production agent, the producer that was had been an entertainment lawyer, was now producing Broadway shows. And I said, look, I can, you know, I'd love to do an internship with you. And back then you could do unpaid internships. So I took on an unpaid internship with him. 
at the same, and it was the funnest job ever. Like we were producing a Broadway show with Meryl Streep. You know, I'm talking to agents, I'm talking to Gwyneth Paltrow's agent. I'm like reading scripts, going to Broadway shows every night. It was just, I was living my best Manhattan life. Oh, sorry, you know? just with your visa at that point then, what kind of visa were you on um, at that point? Yes. So that's a really good question. So there, when I started to do the unpaid internship, and I also um, had said to another immigration attorney, um, I'm happy to help you out part-time, mm-hmm. but this is going to be my career. I'm looking for a new career. So I had some part-time hours at an yeah. immigration law firm. Um, I helped him hire another attorney. I helped out on some cases. Um, but I had a, a part-time H-1B to be able to do okay. that. So, okay. And that allowed me, as long as I'm not getting paid by... I could do the unpaid internship and I could interview at these other places during that time. Um, And there was, look, there was a period between ending my first job and, you know, doing this part-time work where I came in and out on visa waiver and I wasn't working, obviously, and I was just informational interviewing and, you know, I was living with my boyfriend, but everything was legitimate under the visa waiver laws because I wasn't doing any, you know, illegal work or anything like that, just interviewing. So... Yes, so I did have a part-time, and and now people can do this with part-time E3 even. Back then, the E3 didn't exist for Australians. So, um, and I had to figure out, you know, I think that's what's made me a good immigration lawyer today is I had to figure out all these solutions for myself. You know, oh, I could do just part-time there, still have a visa, and then have this extra time. Um, So, yeah, so I had told that lawyer, I'm I'm looking for a new career, so I'll help you find, hire someone, you know. And anyway, so I was also part of the Young Executive Committee for the Italian Chamber of Commerce at the time. And that committee had um, the CFO of Valentino was on that committee. And he says, why don't you come to our Christmas party? And and this is now 2002. Um, and he says, and it was my my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, but he was having his law firm Christmas party too and significant others weren't invited. So I called the girlfriend of mine. I said, hey, Valentina's having this Christmas party. We've been invited. You want to come with me? It's in the meatpacking district. Back then the meatpacking district had one club in it, nothing else. That was it. And it was at this club. Anyway, so we go to this um, party and it's so fun and we're drinking. It was an era of apple martinis. I don't know if you, you probably don't even remember okay. those. You probably never lived through that era, um, but that's when they were fashionable. And so we were drinking our apple martinis and um, this guy says to me, oh, what do you do? And I said, oh, I was an immigration lawyer and now I'm like working with a producer and I'm, but I'm at a law firm, you know, I'm doing this unpaid internship, but I'm also working with part-time for this immigration attorney and, you know, I'm like, you know, I was like all over the place. Anyway, he said, why um, I need to bring over someone from Czech Republic, Spain and Canada in the next three months, actually three weeks, sorry. He said, in the next three weeks, can you do it? And back then the H-1Bs aren't the way they were are today. You could get an H-1B for someone in two weeks at any time of the year. So the thing is that if this happened today, my business may not have ever started. So what happened was I said, yeah, sure. Here's my number, call me tomorrow. So he then called me the next day and um, said, you know, where, where do I send these passports, so forth. And I, with the immigration team that I've been working with, I said, what if I bring in some of my own cases? How would this look? And so forth. And next thing you know, 
I'm doing the visas there. I'm calling the production company and saying, I can't come in today. I've got to do some more visas. And then the hotel referred another hotel who referred the people whose visas I did referred more, more visas. And then I outgrew. So then I, you know, I needed more office space. I needed help. I needed more staff, more office space, more staff, more office space. And so now we have about 15 people. Um, we have a 5,000 square foot office space in lower Manhattan and, we come, we're predominantly in back in the office now, just because the staff love being in the office. We have, you know, beautiful views and a lifestyle office. And immigration law is very paper-based, so you're doing a lot of printing, and you know, and it's nice to be able to collaborate and and be together in the office. And yeah, so that's where we are now. And now we um, get to make that American dream come true for other um, people to come and live and work and establish their lives in America. Um, and if anyone would have ever said to me, you're going to live and work in America and then make that happen for other people, I would have just said, no way, you're crazy. And in fact, quick side story, when I was living in Rome, my roommate said to me, we were in Piazza Navona, and he said, have you ever had your cards read? And I said, oh, no. You know, and he said, oh, come on, come on, do it just for fun. And I sat down. So this is in no, in November of 1998. So six months before that trip to New York, where I ended up going to LA and, and so forth. Um, and six months after I'd been in Mykonos, right? And he, I sit down and the lady, she's got this fox fur and a big wobbly hat and lipstick outside the lines of her lips. And she says, you're not going back to Australia. And you've met the man you're going to marry and you um and so I said well if I'm not going back to Australia where am I going to live and she said think of three places so at that point in time I just thought of where my ticket went right so literally Rome London New York and she said the third place you thought of is where you're going to live the longest anyway so I got up and at this point I was still going back to Australia you know I, I, I hadn't moved to London yet even you know so I got up and my friend said, what did she say? I said, oh, my God, biggest waste of money. She told me that I'm not going back to Australia. That's not true. And she told me I've met the man I've got, I'm going to marry. I haven't met any men that I want to marry. Um, I, I never knew, like, you know, at that point in time, I'd broken up from a very long relationship in Australia from 17 to the age 21. And then I was just having the time of my life and had met people like, like it turns out this guy I'm going to marry is a person I'd met for 10 minutes at a cafe. You would never think of that, right? Um, but my brain was racking. I'm like, oh, there was this cute guy that worked in the retail store with me, but I was sure he was gay, so it couldn't be him. Like, you know, you know when you start racking, like, who the hell could be this guy I'm going to marry? Anyway, so I said, so that's wrong. Um, and she said, I'm going to live in America. And I said, I, I have an Italian passport. I, who wants to live in America? If I'm going to live in America, you know, I would go back to Australia. You know, Europe's beautiful. It's got all this culture and history and old buildings. And, you know, I, I'm not going to live in America. You know, so someone did tell me all of those things and I said, no way. And all of it unfolded. And here I am today and I love my job. I love my staff. I love our clients. And I just feel so blessed to have fallen into this career and this area of law, because I do believe that if I wasn't doing immigration law, I probably wouldn't be an immigration and an attorney anymore. I would have. Yeah. Else. Yeah. And you probably wouldn't be in New York either. You'd probably be back in Australia, I guess. Yeah. 
Oh, right. Chantelle, that's the most incredible background story. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Background story slash love story. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so There's a lot of love stories that bring people to the US too. You yeah. Know? Before you've got <laughs> that have met someone, you know, in an American, you know, on a, tri- on a trip here, then they go back and then they're like, how am I going to make it? How am I going to get a job there? so that I can make this relationship work. Like, so I don't think my story is that unique, right? Like I'd met someone then I was like, oh, how do I get a job there to like give this relationship a go? You know, very often I'm sure you see it driven (laughs) some of the people that want to come here or anywhere that you move people, they're driven by something like that too. Yeah, definitely. But sometimes it could be also a love interest or, and love interest could be either a person or a city, right? Some people are just driven by, I love New York City. I remember when I went to Australia for a year and my mum said to me, don't you dare meet a man and get married out there. She said, you're coming home. Yeah. Well, you're don't worry. <laughs> my mum said the same thing to me and I did not come home, unfortunately. And then years would pass, you know, three years in the US. And then after like, I think three, four years, she was like, you're not coming home, are you? I was like, um um maybe and now she knows that that's just not like my home is here I will have lived in in, in New York in January I'll have lived here 24 years oh really half, which will have been you know half my life in New York so I'll oh. have lived in New York longer than anywhere else in my life because I left Australia when I was younger than 24 so yeah yeah and you still have the thick Aussie accent. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, we have a lot of st- Australian staff in our office, so I get to speak to Aussies every day. And then for our work, I'm speaking to Australians all day long as well. So I think because of that, I've retained the accent too. And I think when you move in as, as an adult, you keep your accent more than if you were younger and then you lose it. But, yeah. So how long have you had the law firm for now? How long has that been active? Yeah. So since pretty much around 2003, the end of 2003. Um, so 20 year, yeah, it's 20 years now. Amazing. Congrats. Yeah, thank you. Is there any particular kind of success story or someone you have helped that really stands out to you, the kind of a memorable story you can share? Yeah, we have a few. I mean, there's the, the, there were stories from when I first started when I had helped. Um, there was a, a Honduran family that had gone to some immigration lawyers that called themselves immigration lawyers that spoke Spanish, they only spoke Spanish, and they didn't help. They took their money and then didn't help them. And then um, they came to our office and we were able to help them, which was so rewarding. Um, but now we do predominantly business immigration. Um, so we do uh, visas and green cards, citizenship. Yep. And our clients are more fashion labels, tech companies, advertising agencies, um, and then the individuals that sort of roll off from that. Um, yep. So we'll do visas for the employees, law firms, obviously, too. Um, and we'll do visas for the employees, but then also then that that person might end up getting married. So then we do their green card and their family-based um, citizenship. So one, uh, some of the, you know, fun, more fun cases, we had a very big luxury fashion client it's a name that everyone knows it's in it's all around the world um and it's italian and they in 2001 it was pandemic um there was an order 
that people couldn't enter, unless you were a permanent resident, green card holder, or citizen, US citizen, you couldn't enter the US from Europe. I don't know if you remember this, you couldn't travel to the US unless you had a national interest exemption, so a special exemption from the US government that said, okay, you know, we authorize you to travel to the US, or unless you spent two weeks somewhere else that wasn't mm -hmm. in Europe to then enter the US. So we had um, this, this luxury label um, who we do their, all their visas for needed to bring their senior creative director and about 20 of their seamstresses and uh, head designers and all of that over here for the Met Gala, um, which that year, it's usually in May, but that year it had been moved to September because of the pandemic. Anyway, so to get this, so we needed to get these national interest exemptions for them to be able to come in. So we got them for most of the staff because, you know, we were able to get the timing. And But the there was the head creative director who kept sort of changing his travel plans. And these national interest exemptions were really hard to get. So you could get them either from the US consulate or from the airports. But at the US consulate, it was taking six months to get them. and um, And then they would only be valid for 30 days. So, or you could go to the, go through the airport and you, there were all these rules with different airports. Like you can only apply three weeks, um, but more than three weeks before your intended travel at some airports, only in less than 10 days than your intended travel from other airports. So there were all these different rules and with the head creative director, um, we got him a national interest exemption to enter by September 9th. And then he said, oh, no, I can't come in on to, through Miami. And he said, I can't come in on September 9th. I need to come in on September 11th and through New York, right? And so now in two days, typically it takes six months, right? Or 30 days or at least two weeks or 10 days. Um, we had to try to get him. So we were begging him, please just come on the 9th because you can't like, we're yeah. not going to be able to get you in. So on this day, it was a Thursday. We had myself and another girl in my office were working on this and we had politicians involved. We were calling the airports, and JFK was saying, "No, you you can't do it." And I have connect, you know, I know people at JFK who, you know, I tried to get them involved. They were like, "You just can't. Like, you've been approved through Miami. You can't switch it." Anyway, we're calling Miami. Anyway, so he then says, calls me and says, "You know, well, if I can't get in for the Met Gala, it's on you." And I can't believe that America wouldn't want me in the country. And I'm going to call Anna Wintour's office. So anyway, we're like, oh, my God. Like, we cannot let Anna Wintour's office, like, do this, you know, ahead of us. So we got, you know, we called the congressman. And and in the end, the congresspeople, we started to work with Anna Wintour. So we're like, they put us in contact with Anna Wintour's office. They ended up being too slow. They didn't. It, in the end, it was us. But the way it ended up working is, I don't know, an angel from heaven came down and at six o'clock on that Thursday evening, you know, I had then emailed both the airports in JFK and Miami and JFK, I got an email from JFK saying, if you can get someone at Miami to authorize him to come through JFK and, and transfer that national interest exemption to us, then we'll let him in. So then, but now it was six o'clock and you can't get through to anyone at Miami at six o'clock. So I was like, oh my God, I can't believe it. They've told me this after hours. How am I going to do this? So I sent this pleading email. I just found all these email addresses, sent this pleading email of like, this is our biggest client. Like I'm having a heart attack. I've been having heart attacks all week. Like, you know, this is just, you know, I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. 
Anyway, so I get this email back at 7.30 and there was another girl in my office working on these saying we will authorise him to travel through JFK. I call her. I'm like, Emily. She comes in my office. I turn my computer around. I'm like, read this email. And we just both burst out crying. Um, (laughs) And then we call him and we're like, you're authorised. Also because he wanted to travel on September 11th, which like, they were all telling us there's no, you know, there's no way we can do this and especially no way we can do this on September 11th. And yeah. then, we made it, then we made it happen. And I have no clue how we made it happen, but it was such a freaking roller coaster of like emotions because I, I guess what you're getting from me is I have this non-defeatist attitude, right? Like yeah. you make something happen and I'm going to make it happen. Um, and then the other case that I did that for was this guy whose family, he had to come in for a citizenship interview and his family had moved to Hong Kong and then when you do a citizenship interview in New York, um, you go to the interview, then they take about three weeks to schedule your oath ceremony. And um, and then it takes another bit of time to get your passport and you can't leave until you have your US passport. So he was going to be separated from his family for about a month. Um, turns out when he went to his interview, he had a DUI um, that they discovered and they wanted the police documents from it. And this was also in the pandemic. He used to be able to go down to the criminal courts and um, just get a get the documents, and but they were closed, and the only way you could do it now was online, and it would take a month. So I was like, I can't do this. So I just went down to the courts, and I could see there were people there in the office. So they're like, what are you doing? You know, like someone walked out, and they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I need to get this document. They're like, no, 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 you need to like do it online. I'm like, but I'm here now. I've come from far. I had come from like a 10 minute walk away. Um, come from far, like I need for my client, you know. And then they were like, no, we can't help you. And then I just sort of stayed there and like called the office for a bit. Someone else worked out. And then I think they just gave up and were like, this chick is just standing outside our door. Let's just freaking give her what she wants. So I ended up getting that document um, for him. And he went back and he, then they weren't going to schedule the citizenship interview. So I went back into the immigration building. Um, they're like, oh, you're not allowed to do this anymore. You can't just walk in because you need to have an appointment because of COVID, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, but I'm in here now. So can you just help me? Um, and so then they ended up, so I've got the officer that had interviewed him and I said, look, I really need to get him an interview because he's separated from his family. And they were like, you know, you weren't supposed to, to come in here and, you know, do it this way. I'm like, I know, but I'm here now. Um, I didn't know, <laughs> you know, I, said, I didn't know, like, because this is the way you used to always do it. And so he's like, all right, we're going to help you now. And so we ended up getting him um, in and out and to his, his interview and back to his family within a week, which could have taken three months. So, yeah, that was fun. Like it, it was just a love of being able to achieve something that people say you can't do. Achieve the impossible. Achieve well, the impossible. them stories like, have definitely possible. confirmed that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they're the, they're the most awesome cases. And then, like, you know, we often have clients that come to us that have been to other attorneys that have said there's no nothing available. I once had a girl who even her mum and dad came in to the consultation, they said, we've been to five other lawyers. They've said, there's nothing's possible. And I said, okay. So then I get really determined. And so we figured out for her, she was a young Australian. She didn't qualify for an E3 at the time. Um, but we figured out that we could get her a J1, first a student travel J1, then a subsequent J1. Then she'd have enough time to then have the work experience to qualify for the E3. And so then we've worked with her and her brother and like the whole family for years thereafter. Her brother now has a green card, you know. Um, so those are the, they're the ones I really love. And then, and also just, you know, working with our clients and then we get to meet 
they'll their siblings who come or they then they become green card holders and then they get a citizenship and they sponsor their parents so we get to meet the parents then they get married and they're having babies and we get to meet our clients babies oh, so you kind of see the life circle and yeah. and that's oh. what we I think all of us in our office love like just the relationship that we develop with our clients in like you'll meet them when they're first young and coming to the US and then we work with them because the E3 especially if they're Australian or any visa it has like renew you have to renew their visa um the E3 mm-hmm. is every two years in two year increments and then H1Bs every three you know three years and you know then you go through the green card process so you get to know your clients over like a good 6 10 15 you know I've got clients that have been now clients for 20 years um and so you really get to know them and so watching the way their life has evolved and being able to go, do you remember when you were just blah, blah, blah? And look at you now. And like, look at you. You've got four kids now. You had none. Remember when you, you know. So, yeah, I have Amazing. a client had a baby last week and he texted me. He said, you're the first person we told that we were pregnant because you predicted that I was going to meet my wife and have a baby, you know, and have kids in America when I said to you I only wanted to come for 18 months. And you were like, yeah, that's not happening. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, wonderful! So we love that aspect of our jobs too. So yeah. I'm really green to visas. So this might be a difficult question, but if you can answer it, that'd be great. What are the different types of visas available for individuals seeking to go into the US? Yeah, so there is an alphabet of visas. So the way it works is that um, when a client comes across our office. Um, you look at their background, their nationality, their educational background, and you know who have they have they already been working for an office abroad for the same company, and you, you look at all these things to see which visa um, that already exists can they fit into. So the different visas, you know, obviously there's visa waiver that people can come in on. If you, there's 21 countries that participate in what's called the visa waiver program, um, also known as ESTA. And what that is, is that they can come in as a tourist for up to 90 days without a visa as a tourist. Yep. So the UK, Australia is, you know, is part of that. Um, countries that aren't part of that are Brazil, China, India. You know, there's more of the, the underdeveloped countries that don't uh, qualify for that because the US says we think you're going to come in and stay, whereas um, the visa waiver countries are the ones that they think people legitimately can come in and will go home. Um, so there's that. There's a B1, B2 visa, which is a tourist visa. People can come in and get up to six months at a time to stay as a tourist. Then I'm just going to go in alphabetical order to make it easy. Then yep. there's the there's the E3 um, for Australians. Um, Australians. And, yeah. So that's you have to be an Australian national. So you have to have an Australian passport. Um, then it's for people that are coming to the US to work for a US employer in a job that requires a degree to be able to do it. And then the person has to have the degree or the equivalent of the degree. So that being said, if you don't have a degree, but you have a number of years of work experience, you can still qualify for it. You can combine education and work experience. The way that it works is that um, the USCIS says every three years of work experience is the equivalent of one year of university. And you have to have the equivalent of a four-year university degree. So if you have zero university studies, but you have 12 years of work experience, then you have the equivalent of a university degree. If you have one year of university studies and then you dropped out, but you have nine years of work experience, you still have the equivalent of a degree. If you have finished two years of uni, then you dropped out. Or it could even be TAFE, actually. There are some 
courses that have university level studies that you can use towards that. Um, so you need to have the degree, then the job needs to require the degree. People might say, look, you know, especially for lawyers, they definitely need the degree. So it's a, it's a no brainer. Um, yeah. But there are a lot of, uh, lot of jobs that people think might not need a degree like a bar manager, but we can argue that you do need a hospitality management degree to be a bar manager. But certainly for attorneys, hands down, you can't be a lawyer without a Bachelor of Laws or a JD, you know. So yeah. the lawyers are 100% going to qualify for the E3 visa. Also, um, if they're not admitted yet, so if they're coming to the US and they're not admitted yet, they can't be called an attorney or an associate straight away until they do get admitted. But if they are a contract analyst or a law clerk or, you know, we give them some other uh, title so that they can at least come here, study, start working at the firm, um, those positions do also qualify for the E3. Okay. So, and it's for two years, renewable indefinitely, and you can transition from an E3 to a green card as well. You just have to watch the timing um, to be able to do that. There is an E1 and E2 visa for people that are the same nationality as the company that's hiring them. As long as that company is more than 50% owned, um, has an ownership of more than 50% from that nationality, from that country. Um, there's F1 for students. If people want to come and do a master's in law first, sometimes people do do that. If they're from a civil law country, they'll come, they'll do a master's first. Uh, and then from that, they'll get, if you do do a master's on an F1 visa, you get a year of what's called OPT, optional practical training, that allows you to um, stay here and work at a law firm without the firm having to sponsor you, quote unquote. So it's a great way for people to actually get a foot in to law firms because um, the OPT, it's easy for a firm to take someone on OPT. And if, especially if they're Australian, then the law firm loves them, doesn't want to lose them, and is like, yeah, how do we keep you? E3, great. Um, and for someone that doesn't do that, the E3 visa is awesome as well because it is, you know, we can get someone on E3 in three weeks, sometimes even two weeks. But I was like going to say, say how, how seamless is the process of obtaining the E3? It is very seamless, and especially for law firms um, because – Law firms have at easy access their EIN, um, which is their tax ID number. All we need from the law firm is their tax ID number, their address, you know, where the firm is located, what the person's title is going to be, if they're not an associate, you know, from when they commence, if they're not admitted yet, um, and their salary. And then from there, we can develop all the documents for the employer. We do the, uh, the law firm support letter. We draft and file the LCA and get that all ready so that then all the the employer is doing, it's a total of about seven minutes of the employer's time. Reviewing, just confirming, like we'll go and find the stuff too, not even having to make them answer the questions. Like we'll say, can you confirm that this is your address? This is the phone number. This is the, so we try to preempt all that so they don't have to even type it in. So they're just looking at it and going, yes, 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 you know, and typically we'll have the offer letter. So we'll draw the information from that for them. We'll say, can you confirm this is the information? They'll say yes. And then we file the LCA and we prepare the support letter. Once the LCA is certified, it takes seven days for the Department of Labor to certify that LCA. We then present the letter and LCA to the employer and say, can you sign these two documents in a DocuSign format? So it takes them 
two seconds, they send it back. Meanwhile, we'll work with the the, the beneficiary, the foreign national, um, and we'll work with them to book their visa appointment, help them with their DS-160, help them get their degree equivalency evaluation here in the United States. We help them, um, we put together the whole visa application packet. We then, if they're in the US, they'll come into our office if they're in New York or if they're elsewhere or abroad, we FedEx them all the paperwork so they don't have to print anything. We have they get everything in a beautiful folder, exactly how they need it for their interview, and then we prep them for their um, interview um, fully. We do a mock interview so they know what to expect. They go to their interview and they get approved. And the interview process takes about to get the visa put in your passport takes about a week. So they go to the consulate, do the visa application for the E3. The consulate will say, great, they'll keep the person's passport and then the visa gets put into the passport and um, the person can then either sometimes pick it up from a location or it gets mailed to them, depending on which consulate, and then um, they're ready to come and enter the United States with it. And for anyone that's in the US and they're changing law firms or employers, yeah. they don't have to go back to their home country. They don't have to go back to Australia or the UK or to go do this visa process for the E3. We can send them as close as Barbados, go have a beach holiday while you go do this, you know. So we'll work with our clients to say, where do you want to go to go do your visa? You know, you don't have to go back to Australia. Sometimes people are going back to Australia. If you've already had an E3 and you go back to Australia, there's a Australians qualified to do a mail-in of their next visa. Um, there are some caveats to that. Hopefully they've never been arrested or had, you know, lost a passport yeah. or given admission to the US. So some instances where they can't do the mail-in, but generally, especially if they're a lawyer, you know, they qualify for the mail-in and then they don't even have to go to a visa interview. Um, so they mail it in when they're in Australia, they get it back with the, pass with the passport and the visa in it and, and then back they come and start working again. So what are the other perks of having an Australian passport? I know there's a lot more to my UK one. So can you just outline them? Where can they go outside of the US as well? Yeah. to You mean to renew their visas? Or to go, to go and live. So for an Australian to come over to the UK, um, is it the same type of visa? And where can they go on an Australian passport? Yes. Go and live. So... Um, each of those would be the immigration laws of that particular country, and we do mainly US immigration. But I do know that um, Australians can go to the UK quite easily because it's part of the Commonwealth. Well, I know that there's a visa to Canada that they can go to quite easily as well. Um, but yes, certainly to the US, it's now become, it, it never used to be this easy. So the E3 visa only started in 2005, which now it's like nearly 20 years. But you'd be surprised that there's still some immigration officers at CBP that are, you know, you'll still hear clients say that immigration officers said, oh, I've never seen this one before. But it's because it's only been around. I mean, it's been around nearly 20 years. You would think they're not. Yeah. There's, and there's only 10,500 of them a year. So it's just that the other visa categories have, you know, hundreds of thousands of people on them. And so it's it's a less used visa. But but now you're, you're seeing people more, you know, you're seeing so many Australians here now. It's great. Um, because they're becoming but why do you oh sorry why, why do you think Australian kind of professionals and businesses do really well in New York what is it what kind of makes them stand out I mean you've done so well as an Australian in the city and I'm sure there's multiple others I think Americans generally love Australians 
I said this to a bunch of Australians the other night, actually, I was presenting in LA and I said, look, we all love it here in America, um, not only because America's awesome, you know, these cities, LA, New York, Chicago, Austin, um, they're awesome, but also because Americans make us feel awesome, like they make us feel so welcome and we get so mm -hmm. much great and positive attention um, here um, from Americans that you wouldn't even get back at home. And also last night, actually, I was in a, at an event and this uh, woman who was recently moved from Australia, she said, what I'm most surprised with, with the Australian community groups that are in the US is that everyone is so supportive. And, um, and I said, yeah, there's no tall poppy syndrome in the US amongst Australians. Like everyone's out to help each other, not compete with each other. And then another person in the group said, yeah, that's because there's, there's enough for everyone in the US. Like there's no one can take the whole market, take on the whole market in the US because it's just so huge, right? So you are collaborative with your competitors because there's enough for everyone. And and in America, there's a market for anything, right? I tell the story of, you know, there used to be guys um, that had a business in New York, which was going to get street meat, we call it. Like it's the, you know, the the cart, the vendors in the, the carts. Yeah. And they yeah. would deliver people in their offices for a couple of bucks right in Australia that would never happen no one's ever going to pay someone to go down to the street and buy their lunch from a street vendor and bring it up to them but in New York I guess it's like also part of the, the, the very big work mentality um, here um, but people will pay for that people will pay for luxuries and conveniences and to save time um, whereas in other countries like in Australia that that wouldn't happen so I always say people say there's that Frank Sinatra song, you know, if I can make it there, I can make it anywhere. I think if you're going to make it anywhere, it's here. Love it. Um, so is there kind of any advice you would give to an Australian lawyer at the moment looking to move out? They're kind of planning. Is there any challenges that they're potentially going to face? So I think, you know, an Australian lawyer that wants to work um, as a lawyer in mm -hmm and not um, just as a law clerk or paralegal or, you know, there are a lot, of, a lot of other jobs, you know, that they can take in law firms that may not necessarily require them to become admitted, but definitely, you know, as a law, in a lawyer position, they need to get yeah. admitted to the bar. So I would say just really mentally prepare for that before mm -hmm. you come. And even if you can, I know um, Australian lawyers that have done the bar exam, even from Australia or the UK, wherever they are, um, before even then saying, okay, yes, and reaching out to recruiters and saying, hey, and yourself and Sondra and saying, hey, I want to move over to the US. If they've got, if they're admitted already, I'm sure it makes your job easier to then sell them to the law firms and say, they've already done the bar exam. Here they are. And yep. they're fantastic, right? So I think if lawyers can do that um, and really think about that. And also, I think if you're doing the bar exam um, and, or even at least preparing for it, from your home country before you move over, you've got your securities, you're not like moving to a new city and trying to study and trying to take on all these things. Because the bar exam, especially the New York bar exam and the California bar exams, they're really big. Like, you know, and especially if you're a lawyer that's been working for a while um, and haven't, you know, you're not right out of school, right? So that was me. I had already been out of law school for a little bit before I then was taking the bar exam. So you've got to remember you're taking the bar exam um, Yes, with other foreign attorneys and people that haven't been in law school for a while, but the predominant amount of people taking the bar exam are law students that have just been in law school, you know, for 
three years studying all this stuff. So you've got to catch up, not yeah. only learn American law, but you've, you're competing against all these people that it's all fresh in their mind. So you want to give yourself a good three months to prepare for that. Um, mm-hmm. Other than that, you just want to try to, when you first get here, build a network for yourself. Because I think once you get into work, it's harder, right? Because you're like, you're in your job and then, you know, so you want to sort of reach out to the, the communities that are available to be able to make friends and, and there is that. It's all available and reach out to people. Like really, um, I feel like if you connect with, you know, other Australians, if you're Australian or, you know, other people from of that you can reach out to, the community out here is very sharing and giving. So they'll say, hey, you know who I know that you should know is this person. I'm going to connect you. So people are really good at connecting people um, in the U.S., so I think that's take opportunity, say yes to everything is what I say to people coming over here. If someone says, would you like to come to this event? Just say yes. In the beginning, just say yes to a lot of stuff because you don't know where it could lead you. And typically it's a good experience. And at least it sounds like sounds like with your background story, you definitely said yes to a lot of stuff and kind of went in feet first, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. And look, it led to some great things. So I always think just say yes and look the type of people that are going to come here are probably the type of people that are say yes people right yeah so just to kind of slowly bring the interview to an end what advice would you give to yourself starting out in your career as a young woman yeah so I would say to myself don't get hung up on what's my purpose in life going to be because that's I did get hung up on that when I wanted to find my new career. And I think don't get hung up on the bigger picture because it will unfold and happen, right? Mm-hmm. Your purpose will come. As long as you just bring passion to whatever you do and do it well, everything else will unfold around that and and and, and it'll work out. So um, yeah, don't don't sweat the small stuff, I guess is what they say. And don't don't worry about that. Like, what's my purpose in life going to be? And the big question, what are your plans for the future? Are you set on New York? Are you staying there? Or will Australia be home again one day? Um, well, I have four kids and a dog and this office with a multiple year lease on it. And my husband's a New Yorker and, and I love New York and it's become home. Um, and I do love Australia and I'm from Adelaide and I love Adelaide every time I go there um, and I love all of Australia. I love the sky. I love the beach. So many things about it that I do love and the, the more laid back lifestyle. But and I thought that maybe one day when I retire, I would maybe head back there. But the older I get and the more that I'm here, the more I can't see myself leaving. And yeah. It's it's an amazing city and even for old people, like old people can go out for dinner, they can go to shows, they can go, you know, they're still really active um, mm-hmm. and social and involved. And I think that New York City particularly, and I think LA would be this way too in other US cities, but New York City particularly is very embracing of um, of older people. So I just think where, you know, people think I'm not going to retire in New York, then you find people do retire in New York because they end up, it's just such a convenient city. They don't need to drive a car. They can go, you know, still be active, still go to dinner, go to shows, still work if they want to. Um, And I do think, you know, I see a lot of, you know, 
people that are mentors or people that I look up to that are that are older and still somewhat working and they're just inspirational to me so yeah New York is very unique. I know you helped our principal consultant, Stefano, to move out there and also Kevin. Um, Steph is Australian. Kevin is originally from Ireland. So you helped them with to secure their visas in New York. And now they both don't want to leave. Um, so they definitely have, the, have built kind of the same experience you have there. Um, so I can totally understand that. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. I tell people beware if you're coming to New York because she's addictive and it's yeah. hard to leave. Yeah, it's hard to leave. Once you're here, you either love it or hate it. And you, if you hate it, you'll be gone um, pretty quick. But if you love it, that's it. You, that's it. You're never leaving. You're hooked. Yeah, you're hooked. Well, thank you so much for your time. Your background story was amazing. I've learned so much from you just kind of pinpointing and outlining um, the different type of visas and I've definitely learned a lot from you. I feel like I want to go out and say yes to everything. Yeah, go out and say yes. All these opportunities that can come your way. And I'm sure there's so many Australians in our network that will found this extremely helpful. So thank you. And if you are seeking immigration help or advice, Chantelle, Chantelle is your go-to contact. So what is the best way to reach out to you? Yeah, absolutely. You can contact me by email at my my name is kind of complicated. It's Z Z J A N T E L L E at Camisa Markel. And the Camisa has two M's and one S. I know a lot of people muddle that up. So C A M M I S A M A R K E L dot com. And an easier one that um, goes to a few people and me too is info, I N F O at Camisa Markel. Dot com and the Camisa Markel again is C A M M that's two M's like Mary I S like Sam A Camisa Markel M A R K E L dot com. I know, I have, I say, right? you know, people don't like they're like you know when I say my name starts with in America people say Z not Z like in Australia yeah. they say Z so it's pretty easy Z J but like I came here and Chantel and I'm like. Z. They're like, you mean C? I'm like, no, Z. You're C. Yeah, C. I'm like, no, Z like zebra. So, like, that's why I know it's like me. Z like zebra. Um, Do you know yeah. what? I'm going to link all your con- contact details at the bottom of the podcast for ease. Thank you. That <laughs> I'll will link be everything for you. Um, all the above will be linked. Uh, yeah. LinkedIn, you can find me on LinkedIn, all of those places. Well, have an amazing rest of your day. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Rebecca. This was so much fun. Thanks for tuning into this episode. Be sure to follow Sonda's LinkedIn, Spotify and Instagram for the latest business and market updates. Have a great day.